0: Well, we await that day, don't we? And today we're going to talk about one of the ways in which God will hasten that day. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> I think many of us remember the story. Paul is on his missionary trip, tour through Asia Minor and he visited Lystra and he healed a lame man there and the people of the place thought he was a god, he and Barnabas, and they were going to offer sacrifices to him as a god um, and Paul barely could stop them from doing that and uh, apparently there was a language problem. They must not have spoken Greek Uh, in that area, and uh, Paul uh, finally convinces them not to treat them as gods. And then we read in verse 19, think how, see how fickle people can be uh, and manipulable. Verse 19, Acts chapter 14, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That's as far as the reading of our word. You can keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at a couple other passages. Well, what do you think about, about this message of Paul? Where did Paul get this idea of verse 22? That he exhorts the brethren, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Is it because he'd been stoned, left for dead in that community? And isn't this a really negative, negative message? Um, I mean, we're not going to attract many people to the church If that's our message, are we? Isn't this such a pessimistic view of Christianity? Aren't aren't we supposed to be positive? So where does Paul get this idea? Well, he didn't get it just because he'd been stoned. The origin of Paul's exhortation actually comes from the Lord Jesus. And if you look with me in Luke chapter 9, Jesus addresses himself to impulsive followers or those who would be followers and they were impulsive. And in chapter 9 verse 57 Jesus we read, it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Jesus, Lord I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, follow me, but he That man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus Christ... Himself was the origin of Paul's message. And Jesus, with all these impulsive followers, confronts a common temptation to adjust and to accommodate the kingdom of God to my conditions. Now, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea about this message and this passage today. There are many glorious things about the gospel that we all Praise the Lord for. The Gospel is glorious and it is comforting. There are many great things about belonging to Christ's church. We enjoy coming to worship. We enjoy singing together. We enjoy studying God's Word. It's interesting. We probably enjoy coffee time after the service. In our church, we have catechism and Sunday school for adults and children. And then we have a coffee time and then we have service and it's a real coffee time. And, and uh, it, we couldn't cancel that coffee time because it's so well enjoyed uh, and a time to see each other that we haven't seen one another through, through the week. There's lots of great things of being a Christian and belonging to Christ's church. But these people that Jesus addressed here were coming to Jesus for secondary reasons. And you see, when we seek religion or the church or Jesus for secondary reasons, then it's easy to put or to give excuses for avoiding the principal reason. You see, that's what's so serious about sin. It permits us to substitute good things for the main thing. These people weren't asking Jesus to do anything sinful. Going and saying goodbye to your family certainly isn't sin. They weren't substituting something sinful for following Jesus. This is the point. Impulsive followers... They were all positive. They were happy. They were saying, Jesus, I'll follow You wherever You go. And Jesus rebukes every one of them. What was their problem? Wasn't Jesus being very harsh? I think a lot of people would say, wow, I think I don't know. I don't agree with how Jesus treated these people. How could it be bad to go home and bury their father and to say goodbye to their family? And maybe we judge Jesus because we have the same problem that these people had. You see, the problem was that Jesus was not first, second, last, and all for these people. For them, following Jesus was good as long as it could be adjusted to my priorities. The laser vision of Jesus saw right through their heart. Maybe they were expecting Jesus to say, Oh, yeah, sure. That's that's fine. Go ahead. Go attend your things. I'll wait here. Just hurry up. I'll wait for you. Maybe that's what they were expecting Jesus to say. Like we do so many times, don't we? You see, a great problem for Christians and for the church, not in Jesus' time, all the way up to our own times, is we don't say, let your will be done. We tell God what we're going to do and then want Him to bless it. The origin of Paul's attitude was Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus was the origin because He put Himself squarely in the middle of the Kingdom of God. Paul was simply repeating what Jesus had already said. That Jesus and His Kingdom must be all of our life well what about this idea in verse 22 of Acts chapter 14 where Paul says it is necessary through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God well once again it's Jesus Matthew chapter 10 we've got a passage that's even more radical yet Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 Jesus says therefore whoever confesses me before men Him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. He who does not take his cross and follow after Me is not worthy of Me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for My sake will find it. It is true. Jesus is a refuge. Jesus is the good shepherd for the repentant soul. Jesus' grace and pardon are healing balm for our heart. But it is also true that Jesus never hid the fact that He has come to leash upon the earth a spiritual battle. Christ has invaded, just a couple chapters further in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says He's come to invade. The kingdom of Satan. He has bound the strong man because he's stronger yet. And he's sacking his house. And this invasion of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom in this world of darkness has produced conflict. A serious conflict. And a sad conflict sometimes. And Jesus uses the example. It's not the only It's not the only type of conflict that we can see, but He uses that which would hurt us the most as the example of what is happening when He says the conflict might be with our own family members. In this passage, Jesus of Matthew 10, Jesus affirms in terms which are impossible to misunderstand. That He is and must be the only and exclusive object of our faith, and He admits nothing other and no one other. And just so we don't get the idea that, you know, this is some sort of mystical (laughs) confession, that we can think a confession of Jesus Christ, or, or this is some sort of spiritualized confession Jesus says, you know what? Your confession is going to be tested. Your confession of me will be tested. Verse 38, Jesus says, in other words, if you don't bear the cross, you won't wear the crown. No cross, no crown. Bearing the cross of Christ in this world till He calls us home will be the evidence that we have confessed Him, the Lord and Savior. And so what do we come to church to hear? Why do we come to church? Do we come to hear just nice things? There are certainly nice things to hear about the Gospel, aren't there? Do we come only to hear that? Do we come to hear the things which are in accord with my own opinions? Or do we come to hear the truth of God? You see, Jesus is the truth. And Jesus declared the truth. And Jesus is the only fount of salvation and life eternal. Only Jesus. And Jesus never promised that following Him in this world would be a bed of roses or a bed of tulips. (laughs) Jesus said, in this world you will have trials. But trust, I have overcome the world. You know, the church in Costa Rica, since its inception, has not had much Persecution. Costa Rica is sort of an anomaly in Central America, thanks to Protestant Englishmen in the 1800s who got in contact very early with Costa Rica and its government and aided the country in exportation of coffee and wood and imported other goods uh, for Costa Rica. And so Protestants had a good <clears throat> reception in Costa Rica. And from the early 1900s, the Protestant church could grow slowly in Costa Rica, but there was never real persecution. And, so, uh, and there haven't been uh, terrible wars, civil wars in Costa Rica. So the church there has had a peaceful and a tranquil life. But there's a problem. Tranquility can breed apathy. Apathy. If we do not use peacetime to push forward the kingdom of God, and when I shared this message in Costa Rica, we talked about the furia santa, a, a holy fury, and I'm not talking about fury against humans. It's fury, holy fury against our own tendency to, 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 to let our hands down, to let our guard down and holy fury against the kingdom of darkness. And if we don't use peacetime to push the kingdom forward with what we're going to call holy fury, we become apathetic too easily. And in Costa Rica, there were good ministries begun back in the 60s, back in the 70s, that today have either disappeared or have fallen into something very different than than what they were. I think that the last year of the pandemic, the the closures will have been a test for the church. There are some saying in Latin America that many churches may have closed for good. And we still don't know how many people will never go back to church after the closures and the lockdowns. One pastor suspected it might be up to 50% of Christians won't go back to church. I believe God sifted His church over the past year. Well, it's Jesus who says to you and to me, no cross, no crown. Paul was just sharing that message as a faithful messenger, as a faithful apostle what Jesus, His teacher, had taught already. And this was the message of all the apostles. It wasn't just Paul. Read Peter. Read John. Read James. Read Jude. Read the epistle to the Hebrews. They all say the same thing. Jesus Christ is center of the Gospel. Jesus Christ is King. And we will have to serve His kingdom with a holy fury that is... Willing to sacrifice my desires, my own likings, my own opinions, my own fears before the cross of Jesus Christ. So returning once again to Acts chapter 14, Paul, we find, puts in practice his faith just as Jesus had taught. You know, they stoned him and left him for dead. Boys and girls... um, I think you can imagine what it is stoning someone to death. Of course, they weren't little rocks that you used to stone. You can't kill someone with small stones. These were stones. Okay. And to kill someone by stoning, you have to smash their head in. That's basically how it is. You can throw rocks at their body and you could even, I suppose, break their ribs. But in order to kill them, it's a pretty violent and messy ordeal. Now they left Paul on the ground, bloody, smashed, uh, hardly breathing. I mean, maybe there was a miracle that took place here. Maybe they did kill him and God raised him up. I don't know. And when the, finally the multitude, the raving multitude disperses, and the Christians, maybe new Christians, maybe these Christians had just been converted. Because Paul had just gone there to evangelize, and the Christians, crying, go to where Paul is, and 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 they're going to pick him up and 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 bury him, the apostle Paul. He gets up. He says, "Oh, oh, oh, help me up! Ooh, ooh, that hurts!" Ooh. And, and and they can't believe it, and, and, and they take Paul back into the city, to one of the houses of the brethren. And what does Paul do? Does Paul sit down on a bench, all achy and broken? He says, Oh boy, this apostle thing, this this is gonna this is gonna be the end of me. This is gonna kill me. <laughs> yeah, it almost did. You know, Paul had an a vocation. Paul was a tent maker. Paul could have said, I think. I think I'll go back to making tents. It's a whole lot safer. I can support the local congregation from my tent-making business and and we'll be fine. Is that what Paul said? Verse 21 says, the next day he left with Barnabas and he continued preaching. He didn't lose one day of his calling. And oftentimes we we may think well that was paul <clears throat> he was an apostle he was called to do that i'm just a <clears throat> i'm just a humble christian and our church is just a humble church the only trouble is verse 22 <laughs> paul made his rounds paul goes back to lystra and paul says to everybody it is necessary that's a little tiny word in the original greek day But it's a strong word. Sometimes little things are the strongest. And it means it's necessary. There's no way around it. There's no way out. It is necessary that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. I think there are two errors that we can fall into with regard to the kingdom, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a current that has been around for a long time, we call it the social gospel, liberation theology, it teaches that the kingdom will come by human effort. And the problem with that is the kingdom never comes by human effort. And aside from being non-biblical, it produces people who eventually throw in the towel because the kingdom never comes that way. A second error that is more common probably among Reformed circles is the error of saying, well, Christ brought the kingdom. Since I can't bring the kingdom because Christ already brought it, Christ did everything. Christ fought the devil. He conquered the devil. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's ascended to heaven. He's reigning. All I can do is just Believe and wait. And that's a serious error. A theological error. The theologians talk about the kingdom of God with a dual aspect because that's what the Gospels show to us. Yes, the kingdom came. They call that the already aspect of the kingdom. And yet Jesus, many of the parables, says the kingdom of God is like the ten virgins. And the, the groom has not come yet. And so there is still a future aspect. That's the not yet part of the, of the kingdom. The kingdom has been established. It has come. Christ has invaded this world with His church and His kingdom. And yet He has not consummated His kingdom. That is still outstanding. And as Jesus Christ calls to Himself His elect in terms of His kingdom, We can call it recruitment. He recruits His elect. And He redeems us soul and body. God is the one who has unleashed the battle in this world. Jesus Christ is the one who has unleashed the conflict. Against the kingdom of darkness. And it is God who calls us into the church, which is that visible, the most visible manifestation of His kingdom. His kingdom is broader than just the institutional church. But we are the visible manifestation of that kingdom. And God has called us into that battle. And the recruitment lasts. Until God says, Come and rest. It is until God takes us to His presence that we can relax from our holy fury. And that's why Paul gets up and he continues his work. Until they cut his head off. The only way to silence Paul was when Nero chopped his head off. And that's why Paul says to the other Christians of Lystra, Derbe, Antioch, and Iconium that they must serve their Savior with the same attitude. Not backing away from, not fearing tribulation but persevering in the midst of it. How many tribulations can we expect? Well, Paul says many. Paul says many. And you know, the church that is that is tranquil, avoiding any affliction or conflict, the church that is totally content, the church that is passive, indolent, Lazy? Fearful? Individualistic? Looks at this passage, or the Christian, the church or the Christian, looks at this passage and says, I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like that. That's a part of the Bible I just don't like. I don't accept it. It, it, You must be interpreting it wrong. There's other things that are much nicer, and I would prefer to think about those kinds of things. And that's why this morning, we speak to those who have had their... Hearts and ears opened by the Holy Spirit. Because that believer says, Lord help me. Lord help me. I will do it. The work in Costa Rica that my wife and I have labored in, and I won't say the amount of years because that's on the quiz. The work in Costa Rica, the reformed work there, hasn't been easy we helped open the work the reformed work there were no no reformed churches or historic representations of protestantism in Costa Rica when we first arrived and it hasn't been it hasn't been easy and i don't think it's going to be easy as we look into the future we've had tribulations and afflictions sadnesses anguish but in the midst of it all and we could tell story upon story of how God tested our faith. He took us almost to the brink of not being able to to understand what was happening. And He always gave the answer and always sustained the work. Today, dear people of God, today is not the time to halt in the way. When we say we need holy fury, the only thing we're saying is what Paul says, persevere. Persevere no matter what. Bear the afflictions that might be necessary for the cause of the kingdom of God. If we do not have our sights set on the kingdom of God, we can avoid afflictions. You know, even at a personal level, if your desire... As a family, as a marriage, family with children, if you do not desire and are focused on being a kingdom family, you can avoid affliction. If your goal is love and peace, everybody do their own thing and just be calm, you, could, you, could, you can manage that. When your goal is to be kingdom family, in this world where we are bombarded by ideas, we are being pressured by all sorts of social pressures, our children, our young people are being swept away. That's the fact. Then there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a fight for the church, for your community. I don't know what you folks face here in Pella. I have no idea. I know what we face in Costa Rica. Our own Christian school is under tremendous pressure. The whole diversity uh, idea Our young girls are being targeted uh, with abortion, uh, etc. Our young men targeted with LGBT pressure. You know, God doesn't ask for tremendous, tremendous works. God doesn't ask for showy evidences that we are kingdom Christians. He asks for faithfulness and perseverance. Maybe your role in the kingdom is is prayer. We have people, some of them not even able to leave their homes, who pray faithfully for the work. We know God has answered those prayers. We're positive that God has answered that ministry, that warfare ministry, if you will. You know, when we begin to see the world as the theater of the work of God, and when we consider ourselves as messengers of King Jesus and His kingdom as Savior and Lord in this world, I think God will fill us with the joy in doing that and the strength to be worthy heralds of His glorious kingdom. How is it possible with this message that we just read? How is it possible with that message, verse 22, That the church grew and grew and grew in the time of Paul. They couldn't kill enough Christians. They filled the whole Roman Empire. How is it possible that this message, this somber, strange message made the church grow so much? Because the Christians preached this Word. They preached life eternal in Christ and the coming of a glorious kingdom and their lives. We're living testimonies of this same conviction. People of God, today, in Costa Rica and in Pella, Iowa, the work of Jesus Christ deserves nothing less. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, equip us, those who have confessed Your name, Equip us, please, to be worthy bearers of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we tremble humanly before the daunting task of representing You in this world. At times we're confused. We don't know how to respond to things that are happening around us, things that are rapidly happening in our society. Father, we need wisdom, and we probably need courage. So, in this morning, we ask that for your church, both here and abroad, give us wisdom, give us faith, and give us courage. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.